0: Hi, I'm Michelle Kelly, editor of Cottage Life magazine. Welcome to the Cottage Life podcast. In this episode, we chat with Dr. Savannah House-Smith, star of Cottage Life channel show, Dr. Savannah, Wild Rose Vet, all about having pets at the cottage, And we revisit a candid reflection on what it's really like to own and maintain a cabin in the woods. This is the Cottage Life Podcast, where every day is the weekend.
1: Hey, Cottage Coach Adam Holman here. We don't get many summer weekends in Canada, so we need to embrace every single one of them. That means my family and I get outside no matter what, whether the sky is gray or the wind off the lake is chilly, or even when the mosquitoes are biting. But before we head out, we need a reliable bug repellent, and that's where Off gentle insect repellent comes in. It's deep-free and repels mosquitoes for up to five hours, so you can use it with confidence on the whole family, six months and older. Plus, the formula feels good on the skin, and it's not oily, sticky, or greasy. Try it. And you'll have one more great reason to embrace the outdoors every summer weekend.
0: Longtime contributor Antanas Salika once wrote in Cottage Life, The relationship of the dog to the cottage is like the relationship of white vermouth to good gin. Each is wonderful in its own right, but when you put the two together, the result is divine. And there's no doubt that that's true. One of the many joys of being at the cottage is seeing our pets interacting with nature. But having a pet at the cottage is different than having one at home. To find out some of the things you need to pay attention to at the lake, we spoke to Dr. Savannah House-Smith, a veterinarian at the Rocky Rapids Veterinarian Service in Drayton Valley, Alberta. She's also the star of Cottage Life series, Dr. Savannah Wild Rose Vet, season two of which is premiering this fall. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Savannah. Hi, thank you for having me. No, it's so great. I have so many great questions for you. Dogs at the cottage, as we said off, off the top, are sort of like peas and carrots. So uh, I know people have a lot of questions about all the trouble they can get into us into at the lake. But before we get into that, just tell us a little bit about the work that you do with animals.
2: For sure. Uh, So I am what's called a mixed animal practitioner. And so that means that while I see dogs and cats for much of my day, I also will attend to exotic animals like reptiles and birds, uh, large animals like horses and uh, cattle. Um, I also see sheep, goats, chickens, kind of the whole nine yards.
0: I love that. And just before we started recording, Dr. Savannah told me that later this afternoon, she's going to be having some appointments with reptiles. And I remarked how different our jobs are. I love it. <laughs> um, cause it, you really do see it all, which is, which is kind of cool. Um, I, I think that for cottagers, you know, dogs are the main event at the cottage. You know, they, mm-hmm. the, the, the family dog is, is definitely a companion that, that cottagers love to have. And sometimes cats, um, Anyone who has a dog or has seen a dog at the lake knows that they can get into lots of trouble, as I said before. So what are some of the things that you would, you know, just off the top that you would say to a dog owner taking their pet to the cottage?
2: Uh, You're definitely right. I will say in the summertime when we have people coming out to our rural area to go camping, uh, that's the majority of my after hours emergency calls are people that are out at the lake and their dog's gotten into something or other. Uh, so, uh, things that you have to be concerned about, uh, lots of dogs will eat things they're not supposed to.
0: Right, right. <laughs> so that's a course. big
2: one. Um, and that can range, uh, I mean, they're, they're pretty creative with what they'll get into. Um, so I've seen dogs, uh, get sick from eating things like mushrooms. Um, they can get sick eating dead fish they find at the lake or the cleanings from people that have been fishing, mm-hmm. um, Sometimes they'll get into the barbecue, the leftovers from, uh, you know, from uh, cooking on the barbecue is a big one. Uh, There's just tons of things that they can get into and find for sure.
0: Yeah, one I've heard about is mouse poison, like they might Mm -hmm. eat the Mm -hmm. mouse poison that you've left out.
2: Yeah, and that's something because I know a lot of people will leave uh, mouse poison out, uh, especially uh, in wintertime, like when, the, mm-hmm. when they're not going out to the cottage. Um, so be sure that you clean all that up before the dogs are let out of the car, even I would argue. Right, <laughs> a little sweep course. through the cottage prior to actually going to it, I think is always a good idea. Um, and that's one of the things you'll want to keep in mind because um, there's different types of rat poisons that are out there. Um, if you think your pet has consumed rat poison, I do recommend keeping the packaging and taking it with you to the emergency center um, because different rat poisons will have different effects and have different treatments.
0: Right. Okay. So how about this? I know oftentimes the dog, when you, especially when you arrive to the cottage and everyone's unpacking and things are busy and exciting, and then the dog kind of wanders off. And then the next thing you know, your dog's acting a bit funny. How do you know if there's a serious situation going on or, you know, if you need to go seek emergency care, like what are the signs that you would look for?
2: Yeah. So there's, while there is a lot of first aid that can be done out at the cottage, there are a lot of times when you'll simply uh, have to cut your trip a little short and head back to civilization to uh, seek treatment. And some of the signs that you should really be going to back to the veterinarian to find out what's happening. If they have vomiting, especially multiple times. So if they've like thrown up like 10 times within an hour, that's certainly not good. (laughs) <laughs> um mm-hmm. if they're very weak or lethargic so just very kind of lifeless or listless that's not a good sign um diarrhea is hit or miss because some dogs will get a little bit of soft stool just from the excitement and stress of of travel and everything but if it's if it's prolonged if they're also not eating or drinking as well as having diarrhea that's mm-hmm. signs that that you should probably head into a clinic as well and certainly if they're having anything really crazy like um, like seizures or muscle Muscle twitching or or passing out, like all those things, you definitely want to have checked out too.
0: So, what would you do if you saw a dog with any of these signs that, in you know, an owner that suspects suspects that they might have ingested something? What is your what steps do you take there?
2: Uh, So, there's two things that you can do depending on where you are. There is actually a pet poison helpline that exists and I think if you just search it up it's the uh, it's the American SPCA has a pet poison helpline that they run 24 hours they have a a number that you can call. I believe you do pay for the fee, but what it is is that you will be put through to a toxicologist or a veterinarian, and they will guide you as to whether you should seek treatment now, whether you should try to induce vomiting. Um, And if you do end up going to a veterinarian, they give you a case number so that they can then counsel the veterinarian on what to do next as well.
0: Right. And, you know, this is actually a really important point for cottagers because sometimes you're quite remote. You know, you Mm -hmm. might be a 40 Mm -hmm. minute boat ride from the landing and then another 40 minutes into Mm -hmm. town to get to care. Mm -hmm. So I think this is important if there are things that you can do to resolve the problem without taking that trip. I think many cottagers would be interested to know. So Mm -hmm. that is sometimes the
2: case. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to predict which ones um, I would say like most of the time, it's the right thing to get them to vomit, but not always. So there's some things that you do not want to induce vomiting. So that's why I would say, um, before you head out, make sure that you have the contact information Of the nearest veterinary hospital that will be open at the time, and also that pet poison helpline. Because, yeah, sometimes uh, you'll want to make them puke, and other times you don't.
1: Right. And
2: it kind of depends on the toxin and how the dog is doing. So that's why it's kind of tough to tell to give a blanket recommendation. One thing I will say is pack. 3% hydrogen peroxide into your first aid kits both for cleaning wounds but in some cases especially in a pinch if you're really in a a remote situation and you've got no other options um, you can use hydrogen peroxide uh, with guidance Uh, you can use it to cause them to vomit as well
0: Ah, it's, a, it's kind of one of those things you should always have on hand because I've yeah. i heard that that's good for getting skunk smells out of dogs too. A little bit it of hot can. Peroxide. Yep, yeah peroxide. Yeah, definitely can. Which is another problem that a lot of dogs uh, find at the lake. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned before about mouse poison and here's a funny question. Sometimes, someone asked the magazine um, a long time ago about this, that they had been concerned that their cat had eaten a mouse mm-hmm. that had eaten mouse poison. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes there would be, if a... If a If you leave poison out and a mouse gets it, the mouse will be dead in the cottage. Mm -hmm. The the cat will find it, Mm -hmm. ingest it. And is that problematic for a cat?
2: Yeah, so what it's called is secondary poisoning and uh, it would be it's also wildlife you need to be worried about with that too so um using rodenticides is not is not great because you run run a risk of of your own animals consuming dead animals that have been poisoned and then becoming poisoned themselves but if the if the mouse escapes the house and then dies outdoors then uh, any wildlife that eat it also will probably die um so, uh, so yeah, so there are, uh, lots of, lots of issues with, uh, using rodenticides.
0: <laughs> I guess the point is just stick to the old wooden trap there. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mechanical
2: <laughs> methods may be superior.
0: <laughs> right. Right. It seems that way. Um, so another thing that I think people don't really know about, and it, it, it's, I feel so bad for these poor dogs is when they get to the cottage and they're so excited and they run to the lake and they're swimming around all day. And then the next day they like are, they're howling in pain when they sit down. So what is that from? I was so surprised to learn about Mm
2: -hmm. this. Yeah. So that's a condition called swimmer's tail. And it's, it's kind of funny because what it is is they basically pull a muscle in their tail, (laughs) Poor little guys. They're all excited to swim and they really pay for it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so uh, usually I'll see it in high energy dogs. And the reason it seems to happen when they're swimming, nobody knows precisely but it's thought to be the combination because when they're swimming, they actually use their tail a lot. Like they're using it for for balance, for steering and for swimming. Um, The overexertion of it, because a lot of these are going to be weekend warrior type dogs where maybe they're not super active and not regularly swimming in their everyday life. And then they go and they just go ham and they go way too hard on the weekend. Um, So I think it's that combination of things is, uh, is why we kind of see that.
0: It's sort of like a cottager who goes and puts his dock in once a year and has a sore back. Exactly. Yeah,
2: exactly. (laughs) You're
0: not used to it. Um, all right. So that's something to look for. And, and the treatment for that, I'm assuming, is certainly rest. Is there anything you can
2: do for your dog? Basically. I mean, sometimes for really severe cases, we'll do some anti-inflammatories, but a lot of the times they just need to take it easy for a day or two.
0: <laughs> oh, which is tough at the cottage because they certainly don't want to take it easy when there's yeah, all that exactly. stuff to explore. <laughs> um, all right. So one last thing I want to ask you in terms of specific conditions, and this is definitely mm-hmm. something that people are more and more concerned about uh, mm-hmm. these days, particularly in where we are in Southern Ontario, but I I know all across the country and that's ticks. Mm -hmm. So um, what are you seeing, you know, an increase in ticks on dogs and what should you do if you see a tick on Mm -hmm. your dog um, and should you seek treatment from a vet? Can you handle it yourself?
2: Yeah, so for ticks, um, from what I understand, uh, it's really funny. So this morning in my vaccine appointment, uh, my client asked if we have ticks in our area and I said, yes, yes but we're not as bad as Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> so Ontario, again, uh, there's regional differences with the population of ticks and the types of ticks. Um, and ticks can be a problem because they can carry what are called tick-borne diseases. Right. So things like Rocky Mounted spotted fever Anaplasmosis, babesia. You can get um, Lyme disease is another one that ticks will carry. Tick paralysis. Um, so they can carry a host of of diseases that can cause a lot of problems. Um, prevention is key. Uh, so when it comes to our critters, uh, because we typically can't cover them up with the layers of clothing,
0: yeah, like <laughs> um,
2: the of course. Exactly. Yeah, we usually recommend using uh, flea and tick preventatives. Um, so there are a host of different options for preventive treatment. You can get skin treatments, you can get tablets that they take by mouth. Um, and I highly recommend using them as a tool to reduce the number of ticks on the dog. Um, that being said, they work about 97 to 98% of the time. So that means when you have a lot of ticks, you may still find ticks on your dog, despite having the, the tick preventative. Right. Um, so you still have to do uh, the manual looking behind the ears between the toes around the face and and in the armpits that kind of thing you still have to look for ticks and, and check to see if they're on the dog. The best time to find them is when they're still walking around on the fur. Um, if you have a small tick that's not engorged, so just a little tick, just walking on the fur, um, that's not a problem. It means that it has not embedded into the skin and has not taken a blood meal and therefore there's no disease transmission yet. So you don't need to seek treatment if you find a tick walking on the dog, um, if you find a tick that's embedded, so the head is actually in the skin and it looks like it's been eating uh, blood because it's, it's a gross, swollen tick, mm-hmm. those are the ones where it wouldn't be a bad idea to, uh, to have them checked out at the veterinarian because there's a potential for disease transfer. Um, the ones like Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anaplasma, those can transfer right away. Lyme disease, the tick has to be attached for a certain period of time.
0: Right. Okay. So, so that's. What, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Do you, do you take the tick out? Do you try to take the tick out yourself the way you would on your own body, or do you? Take yeah, the you can the actually
2: bed? get these really cool little tools called tick twisters. Yeah. um They're like a little, almost like a toothpick-looking thing, but it's got like mm-hmm. little tines and it's a little bend to it where you kind of slide it under um, between the tick's shoulders and the skin, and you wedge the head in there, and then you just twist it, and it'll twist the the tick out um and you want to actually that twisting motion is important because they've got serrated teeth that'll keep it in there so if you pull straight out usually you'll rip the head off and then you get an abscess (laughs) um (laughs) and uh, yeah um and you don't want to do anything like smothering it with vaseline or setting fire to it or anything dumb like that like none of that'll work it won't cause the tick to let go you'll just cause problems Um, and then you save the tick and take the tick with you for testing is that right Correct. Yes, you want to keep the ticks. So the best way to keep it if it's still alive is like um, if you've got an old pill vial, uh, Ziploc bag, something like that, something like Tupperware, honestly, it's better to have something that seals and has solid sides because they are escape artists they will they will get out if they're wow. still alive yeah.
0: those tricky <laughs> so. little ticks uh okay so that actually leads me right to my next question so um and that is what you should have on hand in a pet first aid kit and to recap you should definitely have a tick twister mm-hmm. and you should definitely have hydrogen peroxide mm-hmm. what else is good to have on hand for your pet and maybe even something you wouldn't have for yourself
2: Hmm. Um, so you want to have standard things. Um, I mean, having the tweezers is really good. Bandage material, um, triple antibiotic ointment like a polysporin is helpful. Antihistamines, I think, are really important to have. Hmm. Um, so antihistamines are great for both people as well as animals, because a lot of them will get insect bites or get a bee sting or something like that. Um, and antihistamines are are very good to have on hand. They can be life saving, and uh, I would uh, contact your veterinarian for a dose for antihistamines to have on hand for your dog. Um, so that I think is an important one.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people wouldn't realize that your dog can get allergies.
2: Yeah, for sure, and they'll like if they go and stick their face in a hornet's nest or something. Uh, yeah. Um that might buy you enough time to get into the the veterinarian's office or the emergency center. Right. Um, and then depending, um, there is a, a really cool device that I really like. It's, um, a type of sling that you can use to transport dogs that are not mobile so that's something that because we have a lot of we're close to the mountains Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) out here and so it's something I've recommended before if you're going out on trail rides going into the mountains and you have to carry your dog down off a mountain um, it basically it has like a like a harness like sling underneath the dog and two straps as a backpack for you so then you can backpack your critter out
0: Oh, isn't um, that so cool? I,
2: yeah. So it's something I, I've uh, chatted about with lots of people, but again, um, it's because we're near the mountains, but I think it would still be useful. Like even if you're, if you're say out on a hike or something. Absolutely. And, you're and, out in the forest. Know, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really nice. Cause you don't really think about how hard it is to carry a dog <laughs> if you're out in the no, middle of nowhere. <laughs> exactly. How uncomfortable,
0: yeah. how uncomfortable it is for them. And even, and maybe it's a really hot day or I know that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to get the name and we can put that in the show notes as well as, as a stronger recommendation. I appreciate you taking uh, this time out to chat with me. And uh, I, I could talk with you forever about the work that you do. It's very interesting. And um, I won't keep you from your lizards too much longer. But thank you so much for coming on the uh, podcast.
2: Yeah, it was my pleasure.
0: It was nice being on here. Season two of Dr. Savannah Wild Rose Vet is premiering this fall on the Cottage Life channel. Head to cottagelife.com for more information on the show and for information on pets and cottage living. Anyone who's ever owned a cottage knows that maintenance and upkeep at even the tiniest of cabins is something of an ongoing commitment. It's a fact of cottage life that writer Orland French considered for his essay, Rotting on the Rideau, which originally appeared in the April-May 1992 issue of the magazine. Here it is for you now, read by Pedro Mendez.
3: Maturity is overtaking my haven on the Rideau at an unexpected pace. Just as we drove in the last nail to complete the project, the first piece of lumber rotted off and fell to the ground. As I said to the contractor, the physical plant at my private recreational center is deteriorating at a rate above and beyond the original engineering projections. Or, as I said to my wife, look, these damn steps are rotting away already. Well, so they are, she said, and so are we. That is not a philosophy on which to chew thoughtfully while holding a mouthful of galvanized nails during a repair job. It is amazing how quickly a cottage matures. These vacation domiciles, crafted so carefully in the younger years of one's life, are supposed to be holiday retreats that will last forever. And here I am, only a few years after rejoicing over my engineering triumph, I can build steps, I can build steps, contemplating, their replacement. Didn't we use the best western cedar? Didn't we stain and restain the wood to keep nature at bay? Didn't we set the steps in concrete to break contact with the soil? But nature triumphs. It's only natural that when dead trees, even in the refined form obtained at the lumberyard, are laid down in the forest, they will want to become part of the forest floor. A cottage is merely a structured compost pile that will quickly revert to rotting vegetation. It is nature's way. Stone and brick and even wooden structures in cities, attacked by gas fumes and all sorts of acidic pollution, seem to last for centuries. You slap on a coat of paint every ten years or so, and the thing holds together forever. On the other hand, a cottage, which knows only the natural elements of wind, rain, snow, and sunshine, will fall down in five years, guaranteed, unless tended and nurtured carefully every summer weekend. This is a fact of life unappreciated by non-cottagers. I met a man recently who was contemplating buying a cottage. Explaining that he wasn't much of a handyman, he asked, Is there much upkeep in a cottage? Sir, it is a cottage. No more need be said. This natural decomposition rate of a cottage when considered along with the decomposition rate of one's body, is enough to turn one's thoughts to other forms of holiday accommodations. Renting, for example. Sell the cottage. Invest the money. Use the interest to rent a cottage retreat. Let someone else repair the rotten steps. Or yachting. We could sell the decomposing cottage and buy a tidy plastic yacht that would be immune to all the ravages of nature, save shoals and rocks. Look at them, I say, peering through binoculars at a pride of yachts wallowing up the Rideau. In the fall, the owners simply tie up at the dock, hand a wad of money to somebody else to look after their boats, and go away to Florida. My wife grabbed the binoculars. There's Amna on the bridge, she says, and he's telling his wife he's going to sell the yacht and buy a cottage. He's saying, bet a cottage gets more than three miles to the gallon. I'm amazed. I didn't know she could lip-read across the lake. I'll have to be more careful in the future. Cottaging is a constant challenge to test our mettle. We have wrestled with boats through milfoil-choked channels, and every spring we hire a stunt pilot to spray for moths. Next on nature's list of promised plagues are zebra mussels, which will clog our water intake lines. If Pharaoh thought chasing Moses and the Israelites was frustrating, he should have tried cottaging in Canada. Perhaps cottages should be recognized and protected as endangered species, needing special treatment on account of their intrinsic frailty. You put them up, and with careful planning and engineering, you might be able to stretch their natural five-year lifespans to ten, provided you don't stomp around on the deck or slam the door. After a decade, there'll be nothing left but a pile of moldering lumber and rotting shingles future generations will have the opportunity to build again and enjoy the awesome sight of nature reducing their carpentry to forest rubble. But enough of this philosophizing. Pass the nails, please. I've got steps to mend.
1: Hey, Cottage Coach Adam Holman here. Some cottage memories I want to keep forever like the proud look on my son's face the first time he hooked a fish, or keeping him up late so he could see all the stars that we never see back in the city. But if I could forget one thing about the cottage, it would be the swarms of mosquitoes. And that's tough to do when you're covered in itchy reminders of every second you spent in shorts. So to make sure my family and I remember the good stuff, we never forget to use off gentle insect repellent. It repels mosquitoes for up to five hours, and the deep-free formula is an oily, greasy, or sticky. So now I can remember the good stuff and forget the mosquitoes.
0: To celebrate our 35th anniversary, we are asking readers to tell us what they've learned from cottage life over the years. Reader Anne Matag sent us the following message, which made us feel, well, kind of like cottaging superheroes. I'm glad you found our tip about tree maintenance so helpful, Anne.
2: So the best thing I've learned from the Cottage Life magazine is from an article I read several years ago. It was reminding people to look up around their cottage, look at old trees, rotting limbs, being proactive about taking them down which we have done over the years. And thankfully, we did that because during the big derecho of May 21, 22, we lost about 20 trees around our cottage and not one of them fell on the cottage. We were there, we were safe, the cottage was safe. We have a big mess to clean up, but other than that, uh, happy we read that article so many years ago.
0: That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Please take a minute to subscribe to this podcast so that each new episode will automatically download to your app and be ready for you to enjoy. We'll have new episodes every Thursday throughout the summer. And please leave us a review. It helps people find us. And speaking of subscribing, let me share a few reasons why you should subscribe to Cottage Life. The magazine offers you more of the same great content you heard today, including all of the things you don't know you don't know about life at the lake. And by supporting the magazine, you're also supporting the podcast. So podcast listeners get a special deal. Subscribe today and you'll get six issues plus a free copy of our Amazing Cottage Spaces booklet, which features our favorite cottages from 35 years of publishing. All this for just $24.95. To sign up, visit cottagelife.com slash podoffer. Our sound design is by Amanda Fusco. This podcast is produced by Catherine Jun and me, Michelle Kelly. I'll see you on the dock.